And so I'm excited about having the opportunity to uh, talk on the subject of end times. Um, over the years, there's been a lot of speculation and discussion and even controversy. Uh, in fact, are you ready, Martin? I'll just, okay. Um, there's been controversy over end times, teaching, um, things like the, the Antichrist and 666 and the tribulation and, and words like the Battle of Armageddon and even, I think, even secular unchurched people know about the Battle of Armageddon and Antichrist. And so there's been a lot of speculation that's been around and I know when that I was born again in uh, 1979 and in the 79 I was in Scotland at the time and I'm coming back to New Zealand in, in the early 80s and end times and the rapture was a very, a, very much a, um, a popular topic uh, that was being spoken about and there was people going through the country teaching on end times. And uh, at that time also there was a film, for those of you around my age, that came out called uh, Left Behind. And uh, as the title suggests, um, it was telling the Christians, I think it was taken from Matthew 24 and Matthew 25, and uh, I think it was, um, well that's where I think it came from, um, and as the title suggests, Left Behind meant that the church was going to be left behind and we're going to have to go through the tribulation. And as, as young believers, many young believers at the time were quite disturbed by that, and rightly so, because we were thinking, my goodness me, I've got no choice. I've actually got to go through this. And, and they took the scripture from Matthew, which says that one will be taken and another left. There'll be two in the field. One is taken and another left. And woe to those that are pregnant in those times, because you're going to have to flee, and all of these kind of scriptures. And so it, um, I'm not really quite sure whether it helped to build the body of Christ or whether there were some that thought, my goodness me, um, you know, Jesus is coming. Uh, what's the point in studying? What's the point in getting married? And if I'm pregnant, goodness me, I'm going to be in trouble. I mean, it's all, you know. And so um, at that time, I, I, I think that I, a lot of Christians were not encouraged and were not inspired to get up and do something. In fact, some of the body of Christ withdrew from society and didn't get educated and weren't being the light um, and it's interesting how Jesus gives instruction that he said to us, we are to occupy until he comes. And so that's, that's what he says to the church. And so with all of that, um, another controversy, in fact, I'm just going to lay a foundation before I start answering some questions. I'm just throwing some things out there because probably some you know, people may not have been where we were uh, 30 years ago uh, in the body of Christ, but I'm just going to throw up some of the arguments that were um, talked about then. In, and, and, and still these things are floating around. There's controversy and conflicting doctrine around the rapture of the church. Has anyone heard about the rapture of the church? Put up your hand if you've heard about the rapture. And so there's conflicting doctrine that floats around, and there's three schools of thought. Um, the first thought is the post-tribulation rapture. And so what does that mean? That means that these people believe that you're going to have to, we, the church are going to have to go through the tribulation and that we get raptured at the end, and then somehow Jesus does a U-turn in heaven, comes back down with his saints. And, uh, and so that's a, that's a doctrine that people absolutely believe. Then you have the, uh, the mid-tribulation rapture um, people, and they believe that the um, church is going to be going up uh, halfway through the tribulation. The tribulation's are for a period of seven years, and halfway through, three and a half years, into it that um, the church is going to be raptured. And they take that from Revelations chapter 7, uh, where it says there's a scene that's in heaven 
and someone's looking in heaven and it's seeing these people from every tribe, every, trung, every tongue and every nation. In Revelation 7 it says, and they're dressed in white robes. And then the person that was standing there is looking and he's asking, he's saying, where have all these people come from? And the voice in heaven says, oh, these are the ones that have come out of great tribulation. And so, of course, people read that and think, oh, my goodness, we're coming out of great tribulation, that we've been persecuted, our robes are now washed. Oh, so we are going through the tribulation. And so that's where the mid-tribulation um, rapture people get their doctrine from. And so we're going to have a look at that, probably not this week. Um, we're going to have a look at that in next week when we get into Matthew 24, Matthew 25, and maybe um, have a quick look at um, Daniel chapter 9 where it talks about some of the end-time prophecies uh, as well as uh, Revelation chapter 7. Um, you see, um, people don't realize, in, just in, in short, people don't realize that after the church is raptured um, that there's going to be salvations, mass salvation on the earth, and those people are going to be going through the rapture. Uh, going through the tribulation, I should say. Now, the third, let's have a look at the third school of thought, which is the pre, uh, pre-tribulation. pre Everyone say pre-tribulation. So pre-tribulation rapture. Okay, and so these people believe that the church is being taken out of the earth before the seven years of tribulation. And then the seven years of tribulation kick in, and then we are going to come back with, uh, with Jesus Christ. Now, Stephen and I, we hold to this view as you can probably um, understand already. Um, and so today we're going to have a look at some scripture to actually support why we believe that we are pre-tribulationists and we believe that we are not called to wrath and that the tribulation is a time of the wrath of Satan and the wrath of, the wrath of God coming down on the earth. And God has said that you have been called out of darkness into his light and that you've not been called to wrath, but you've been called Okay, to blessing and to, into life. And so we're going to have a look at that. You see, Satan would like nothing more than for the church to think that we are, there is no pre-tribulation rapture. He would like us to think that there's nothing that we can do about that, that we're going to have to go through this horrible time that is upon the earth. That the Bible actually says, unless God comes and cuts it short, no one actually is going to survive on the earth. And so it's going to be a time of great tribulation. Praise God. Now, there's another area of confusion, uh, and that's to do with the return or the coming of the Lord. And so this is another doctrine that's floating around, and um, it stems really from people not understanding that there are actually two different events that are mentioned in the Bible. And so people get it mixed up. There's two events, two comings. Uh, one where Jesus touches down on the clouds, and we believe the church goes to meet him in the clouds. And then the other day where he comes and he touches down on the Mount of Olives, the mountain splits in half, and that's his second coming and every eye will see him. And uh, that will be the end of the tribulation. And so what happens is, as I said, that people get mixed up and they get these two mixed up and they get them confused. Um, and, uh, and this is why we, we have kind of unusual doctrine, you know, round with the end time doctrine. But you see, God doesn't want us to be confused. He wants us to be confident about end times. And the way that we are confident about the end times is if we actually have a look at Scripture and that we rightly interpret the Scriptures. And that takes the time of teaching and looking at different Scripture and comparing Scripture with Scripture so that we can get the full picture and not taking something out of context and then all of a sudden coming up with our own doctrine. And so the title of this morning's message is... Gonna, is where does the church fit in end time events? Where do we fit in end time events? 
And what can we expect in our generation? And it is, I believe, in our generation. Why? Because Jesus said that. He says, when you see the fig tree, which is speaking of, speaking of Israel, when you see the fig tree begin to bud, then you know that this time is close and that this generation will not pass away until everything's fulfilled. And we're again going to have a look at that next week. The fig tree speaking of Israel. Israel became a nation in 1948 and she started to spring forth and she started to bud. And Jesus said, you know that the time is close when you see Israel come back into her land. She was being trodden down. Israel was being trodden down of the nations for the last 2,000 years, that land. And then all of a sudden, after the Second World War, 1948, Britain and all of the countries got together and they cut out this piece of land and said, Israel, here's your land. And she started coming back into the land. This little nation, this little plot of land that is actually the incredible um, focal point of the earth in end times where Satan wants to put his throne on the Mount of Olives and God says, no, that Mount of Olives is where my throne is going to be. And so there's a fight for that little piece of land. And when Satan comes and wants to be worshipped, God's going to come and split the skies and get out of my, get out of my earth. This is mine. A magnificent, magnificent story um, that is going to take place. And so what can we expect in our generation? And what does God say about the church? I want to know what God is saying about the church so that we can be empowered to respond to the end times as God wants us to respond to them. And, uh, and I believe that we can do that. And another question I wanted to, I'm asking myself here is, how can I make sense of end times and know that, the, that how I'm interpreting Scripture is in fact correct? I want to know that. I don't want to turn around and be thinking that I've got the whole story right and actually I'm totally wrong. And somebody's got to be wrong because there's three theories out there about the um, rapture. Well, someone's got to be right and the others have got to be wrong. Um, and so I want to, I want to be right. <laughs> and I, want to, and I, and I, I kind of tend to think that my God's on our side and we don't have to fear. What can man do to us? Praise God. And so I believe that this morning, as we actually have a look at Scripture, we're going to see, my goodness me, you're as good as I thought you were, Dad. You're actually you're on our side and you're for us and I have got nothing to fear. Um, praise God. And so let's have a look over the next few weeks. As I said, I want to answer some of these questions. So Bible interpretation. Before we start, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we want to thank you right now, Lord God, for this amazing topic of end times and where the church fits in this time and our generation. Father God, we just thank you right now, Lord God, for you are the teacher of the church, Holy Spirit, and that you're opening our eyes to see things in your word, that you're opening our ears to hear what the Spirit of God is saying to his church. And so, Father, we just thank you for an amazing liberation, amazing victory, and incredible confidence that comes into our spirit and into our lives, Father God, as we know, Lord God, your amazing plan for our lives. And so we thank you for that in Jesus' name. Amen. And so the first point here, Bible interpretation, to correctly um, interpret Scripture, and I'm talking about biblical prophecy here, we must identify for a start, who is God speaking to? Who is God speaking to? When I'm reading scripture, who is he talking to? Okay, and so we need to do that because if we actually, uh, God is talking to one group of people and I'm thinking he's talking to me, then I can get a message totally wrong. And so there are three distinct people groups that God is dealing with in scripture and in the earth. And that is Israel, that is the church, and the nations. And so these are three distinct people groups and you will see God speaking to the nations and how he is dealing with the nations. 
you'll see God speaking to Israel. Now, some of the promises in the Old Testament of the Abrahamic covenant, they belong to the church because Abraham is the father of all those who believe. And so some of those promises are coming through to us. But there's specific, the specific instruction that God is giving to Israel, that he's speaking only to Israel and not to the church and not to the nations. And then we've also got in the New Testament the, the letters that are written to the churches. The old term is called epistles, but they're actually letters that Paul wrote to the churches and was instructing the church on how we are to live and what our future is going to look like. And so when I'm reading the letters, when we're reading the letters, that we're reading God's message to us. Now, even in the Gospels, is actually not in the New Testament, even though it's divided in the New Testament, it was still under an old dispensation. And so not everything that you read in the Gospels totally applies to us as the church. Now, things about our character and walking in love and forgiveness, those kinds of things, of course, they're going to go right throughout the whole of Scripture. But when we're talking about prophetic uh, prophecies, we've got to look at who God is talking to. What is the group of people that he is talking to? Now, the next thing we need to also look at, and, and this will absolutely make a difference to us as well, is biblical dispensations. Okay, and that's a big word, and what does it mean? And so I've uh, downloaded for you from, from the website the exact doctrine, and this is, this is right across the board of, uh, with, with, any, with any mainstream uh, church that they all understand what the dispensations are. And so we're going to have a look at those just briefly right now, and so we can actually understand and have a look at how God is dealing with different people. So dispensationalism is an approach to biblical interpretation which states that God uses different means of working with people during the different periods of history. And so God uses different, different rules or different ways or different means of working with each different group of people. And so there's seven main dispensations that we see in the earth right now that have, that have happened and are about to happen. And these, disp these dispensations, God began them and they ended them failure. It wasn't God's failure, it was man's. And then right on the back of that failure, God would come in with a new dispensation on how he could deal with and how he could reach out to this incredible creation that he is absolutely in love with. And so he would come right on the back. And so first of all, we have the dispensation of innocence. That was the time when God creation, when God created an Adam and Eve, and then they fell into sin. And then that dispensation closed. God comes in with a brand new dispensation, which was the dispensation of conscience. And then that came from that period of time until the flood of Noah. And God got Noah out there, and, 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 and that was the salvation of the world at that time. And so we find that after the flood, God starts with a new dispensation of human government. And so from the time of Noah to the time of Babel in Genesis chapter 11, you'll find there was a way that God was dealing with people on the earth at that time, a specific time slot. And then you find the Tower of Babel, and then all of, the, all of the people had totally gone into idol worship and thought that they were God, and God came in down at that time. He confused the languages, and, that, and then you see them split right throughout the, the, all of the earth. And at that time, God found himself a man, Abraham. And he said, there's one man on the earth, and from this one man, I'm actually going to bring my seed, Jesus Christ, and a new Abraham. If you'll follow me and you'll come into covenant with me, and you won't worship other gods, he says, and you all the nations of the earth will be blessed. And so we find an amazing covenant, and some of us is still the covenant of promise is still in operation. It's reached into the church time. Now that covenant finished with Moses, 
where we find that God started a totally new dispensation with Moses. They were still the children of still, still the children of Abraham, but there was the the time of the law came in, and you'll find that God gave the Ten Commandments and also all of the laws that you see in Leviticus and you see in Deuteronomy. That is all the constitution of the nation of Israel at that time, and. Um, and, and so it's, it's very detailed like any other constitution of any nation was. And that if they served God and they were living within the, the boundaries of Deuteronomy 28, God says all of these blessings are coming on you. If you don't, then hey, you're going to walk outside the blessing, the curses in this earth, and you will be cursed. And all of these curses will come upon you and overtake you. And so God gave them the law. And that period of time was right from Moses. And Jesus Christ was born and he lived and he ministered he died and he was crucified and he rose from the dead under the dispensation of the law. And so the Gospels was written in the dispensation of the law. Now that time period finished and it's quite interesting that after Messiah was cut off, we entered into a new dispensation which was the dispensation of the Gentiles or the time of the Gentiles. Daniel talks about the time of the Gentiles and we're in that time right now. Now, some, some of us call it the dispensation of grace. It's been going for 2,000 years. It's also called the mystery, because in all of the previous dispensations, the mystery wasn't understood. When they were in the dispensation of the law, they thought that they were going from the law, and then all of a sudden a big, huge jump into the millennial reign of Jesus Christ on the earth, where Messiah would come, save the nation of Israel, and he would set up his throne. This whole period in between here, which is the dispensation of grace, is the time of the Gentiles, was totally a mystery in the Old Testament. Praise God. But we're going to find that after the rapture, because in fact, what I, what I, I forgot to say, that during this dispensation of the law, there's actually one week left to live out under this law, under this period. It's called Daniel's 70th week. That's a prophetic week. And this is where the seven years of tribulation comes in. And so we moved out from the, law, the time of the law. We moved into the time of the dispensation of grace. But there's one week left of this last dispensation to play out. And as soon as the church is raptured out of here, then that one week kicks in. The, Jew, the, Gent, uh, the, the Jewish time clock starts back up for a period of seven years. And then after that seven years, Messiah will come back. He will arrive on Mount, the Mount of Olives. He will judge Satan. He will remove him from the earth and then he will set up his millennial reign on the earth and reign with us, his saints, for a thousand years. And so that's all of those dispensations. And if we get a hold of that, and that's why I've written that all down for you in the outline, and you can start to see how God was dealing in covenants with people on the earth and he dealt differently with each covenant uh, and, and the, the, the way he dealt with them was because of grace, his love, trying to hold the earth back from sin and, and decimation by Satan as long as he could until Messiah could come, could die, be crucified, be raised from the dead, and then bring salvation to all of the Gentiles. Praise God. And so right now, point three, the dispensation of grace. That's where we are sitting right at this point in time. It's been going for the last 2,000 years that we've been living in this time period. And as I sort of said, it was a mystery in the Old Testament. And it's interesting how you find that all the, in Paul's writings, as you read the New Testament and the letters, that Paul talks about this mystery of grace and this mystery that was given to him. And it's just quite, so amazing that you find in the book of um, Corinthians 
that Jesus said, I'm not, not Jesus, Paul, uh, God used him to actually teach the Israelites and then to teach the Gentiles what this mystery was all about. And so I'll read this scripture first of all to you in Colossians. He says, whereof Paul talking, he said, I am made a minister according to the dispensation of God, which was given to me for you to fulfill the word of God. He talks about the mystery which has been hidden from ages and from generations, but now has been revealed to his saints. And so this mystery, this time, this dispensation that we are in right now was a mystery. It was hidden from all other ages. They didn't know about it. And there was a reason that they didn't know about it, and I'll get into that in just a second. And so the mystery which has been hidden from ages and from generations, but now has been revealed to his saints, to them God willed to make known what is the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles. And what is that mystery? It's Christ in us, the hope of glory. It's the salvation of the Gentiles. God didn't want to just save the Jews, the nation of Israel. He was going to use them as a seed to be able to bring blessing to all of the earth. And it's interesting how in Corinthians, 1 Corinthians um, 2, it says that had the kings, why, why God's plan of salvation, it had to be a mystery even from the very beginning when they initially sinned and God spoke to the serpent and said, I'm going to send someone into the earth and he's going to bruise your head, Satan. He says, the seed of the woman is going to bruise your head and you will bruise his heel. God was already prophesying into the earth back then of the, about the mystery of Jesus Christ coming. And so Satan, all the way through, all the way through all these dispensations, was looking for a seed. He, he knew it was a, a seed of a, that was going to come, a human seed that was going to destroy him. And so you'll find out even in Egypt, when, they thought, when the time of Moses come, and Satan thought, my goodness me, this is the seed. And so he wiped out all of the children in Israel, and Moses was saved. And so you'll find that all the way through, Satan didn't know and couldn't figure out what God was up to. And so God couldn't let it be known openly to, the, to his creation because the Bible says in 1 Corinthians, it says, had the kings known what God was going to do, they never would have crucified the Lord of glory. Because when Jesus Christ was crucified, the, play, the, the, the bill was paid for the all sin of mankind. And so Satan, if Satan had known God's plan, that when he was going to kill Messiah, he thought once he killed Messiah that the earth would be his, he was going to kill God. No, Messiah had to go and he had to be the Lamb of God that was going to take away the sins of the world. And when Messiah died, death couldn't hold him down because he had no sin of himself. Three days later, after he was in the bowels of the earth, three days later, the Spirit of God came and resurrected him out. And now there's not just one son in glory. The Bible says there's many sons in glory. Jesus made that way. And so this was why it was a mystery in the Old Testament. This is why Israel didn't really understand. There was types and shadows referred to, but they couldn't put the puzzle together. And it was only um, after the day of Pentecost that all of a sudden they understood, my goodness me, this is a new dispensation. And so we see here that God had actually... The plan was just so amazing that Paul said, I knew a man once, whether in the Spirit or out of the Spirit, God knows... He says, such a one was taken up to the third heaven. And the, he sort of said, and saw mysteries. What was he seeing? He was seeing the church. And he came back down, and he, then he started to go into all of the Gentile places. He went into the temple, first of all. He explained the plan of salvation. He explained the mystery. He explained this whole church age to them. And so it's quite amazing. 
And so I'm saying all of that to say this, that if we get this mixed up and we start reading about the old dispensation of the law and we think that we're in that law and that everything that applies to Israel applies to us, we're getting the picture totally wrong. We've got to understand who we are and where we sit in the prophetic timetable and what applies to us in Scripture. And so it's interesting, as I said, the writers and the prophets in the Old Testament, they didn't understand what was coming. And the disciples didn't understand what was coming. You read the Gospels, and continually they were saying to Jesus, have you come to set up your throne? Are you coming to set up your throne now? When are you going to set it up? And even when Jesus was speaking in the Gospels, he, he talked about the church in parables. He says, we're the pearl of great price. And then one day in Matthew 16, 18, he turns around and there's this revelation comes that, hey, you are the Christ, Jesus. Peter comes and says, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus said, flesh and blood hasn't revealed this to you, but my God, my Father in heaven. And upon this revelation knowledge, I'm going to build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Well, when he said, I'm going to build my church, the disciples probably thought, church? What's the church? What's the church? God's going to build a church. What is that? And the gates of hell are not going to prevail against it. Interesting. The first mention. Now that's even prophetic because when Jesus said, when I build my church and the government of hell cannot prevail against it. So we are not in the end time because the government of hell cannot come against the church. We are here until God takes us out. Satan's not taking the church out. And so it's interesting, after Jesus rose from the dead, in Acts chapter 1, verse 6 and 7, and he was talking with them. And you read there, and it's quite interesting because they said, Jesus, have you now come to set up your kingdom? You've risen from the dead. Are you now coming to set up your kingdom? They still hadn't caught it. And he says, no, it's not for you to know the times of the season. That's in my father's. My father knows only. He says, but you're going to be filled with the Holy Ghost not many days from now, and you're going to go into all the world." And you're going to preach the gospel in Jerusalem, Judea, and the uttermost parts of the world. And so we find even after he was risen from the dead, the disciples didn't quite understand. And so we find them in the upper room in Acts chapter 2, verse 4. And the Holy Ghost, Jesus rises from the dead and he's taken up into heaven and they saw him. And the angel says, as you have seen Messiah go, so he is going to come back again. And so they saw a type of the rapture. They saw him going up before him, which is quite interesting. And so they got all filled with the Holy Ghost. And then all of a sudden, the Holy Spirit started to bring to their remembrance everything that Jesus had spoken. And the light started to go on. Oh my gosh, we're in a new dispensation. We're in this disp a new dispensation, the church, the time of the Gentiles. And then even Paul had to come back and he had to correct Peter because Peter kept on having, a, having the, the urge to go back under the law. And so you see a lot of the letters that were written to the, the, to the churches. They were trying to go back under the law. And they were saying, no, you're in an age of grace. The law couldn't get us saved and the Lord, the, the Lord is not going to take us on. We're under grace and it's by the Spirit and it's by God's Word. Praise God. And so let's have a look here. Number four, the rapture is part of the mystery of the church age. You see, if the church was a mystery, if the church was a mystery, then that means that the rapture of the church is going to be part of that mystery. It wasn't spoken of. In fact, the scriptures on the rapture, they're all talked about, they're all talked about in the letters to the churches. If you have a look and you look at Paul's writing, anything that refers to the, 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 the rapture is written in the letters to the church because it was for the church age. 
It's not written in the Gospels. The rapture you will not find in the Gospels. Because when Jesus was teaching, he was talking to Israel about end times. He was not talking to the church. And so some, say, some, some people, theologians may come and they may say, well, hey, the word rapture isn't, isn't in the Bible. Well, that word rapture, it comes from the, the, the Latin word and it means rapparia. Uh, it's a Latin word and of course, no, it's not in the, in the Bible. It's, um, the Bible was written in Hebrew and it was written in, in, in common Greek. And so rapparia, this is what it means, to take from one location and transport to another location. That's what this word means. Now, the Bible uses terminology, and we're going to have a look at that just in a minute. It uses caught up, and words like gathered together to him. And so that's the word that the Bible is going to be using. So you're, you're all there on your outline? So let's have a look at here. There's one instance, and there's one example of it here in 1 Thessalonians 4, verse 16 and 17 in the New King James. It says, For, this, for the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel, and with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then those who are alive and remain, that's on the earth, those of us who are living on the earth, we shall be caught up together. So the dead are going to rise first, and then those that are on the earth are going to be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. Thus shall we always be with the Lord. And so there's one teaching there in the first book of Thessalonians that Paul's starting to talk to the church in Thessalonica. And he's saying the dead in Christ, now we know the dead in Christ are going to rise first. Now what does that mean? Well, the Bible talks about us being, in fact, in, this, in the book of Thessalonians, Paul says, I pray your whole spirit, your soul, and your body be found blameless at the day of the Lord. And so we are a three-part being. We are a spirit. Paul said, I pray that your whole spirit, your soul, and your body be found blameless at the coming of the Lord. And so when it talks about the dead that will rise first, anyone that has died in the Lord, they, their spirit and their soul go immediately into heaven. Obviously their body breaks down in the earth that's uh, cremated or is buried, and it stays here. Well, somehow, some way, the atoms and the carbon of the last 2,000 years of the saints, <laughs> God knows what that carbon is or God knows whatever parts of their body are, and the Bible says that the dead in Christ will rise first, and we which are alive, we're going to get caught up. Now, that's interesting, well, because they're six feet under, so they need to come first. When they hit the earth, I should imagine we join them and we go up together, however it happens. You know, well, we're like, we, we can't go first because they're underneath us. You know, they've been buried. <laughs> Who knows? In fact, it's interesting because the Bible says that in, in the twinkling of an eye, we shall be changed. It was um, Charles Caps is putting out some teaching right now on end times and great stuff and, and um, w well worth uh, listening to. Um, but people thought that we were being raptured in the twinkling of an eye. Well, no, it actually says you will be changed in the twinkling of an eye. This corruptible will put on incorruptible. This mortal will put on immort immortality. And so within the twinkling of an eye, in fact, the word is atomic, which is the most smallest amount of time. It's like when you get born again. You go from light to darkness. Or when we're ready for a new body, it's going to happen in the twinkling of an eye. This mortal shall put on immortality, and we will go up, just like Jesus did when they saw him in the book of Acts, and they saw him go up 
wow. And so all of a sudden, we're not going to just disappear. I guarantee all the people on the earth are going to see human beings moving out of the earth. Talk about revival. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> Amazing. Praise God. So let's have a look. See, so it, this is telling us. In fact, let's read it again. He says, it says, Then we who are alive and remain shall get caught up together with them and meet him in the clouds or meet him in the air. Thus we shall always be with the Lord. And so this tells us at the time of the rapture that a rapture, there is going to be a trans, what do we say here? There's going to be a, we're going to be taken from one location, the rapperia says, we're going to be taken from one location, transported to another location. Rapperia, rapture. We're going to be caught up together with him. The dead from the time of Pentecost all the way through to the time when God come, Jesus Christ comes to get us, every single one of us are going to appear before the Lord together in our resurrected bodies. So a type of the rapture has already happened before. We have a look here in, the, um, in, in 2 Kings, chapter 2, verse 11. There's different examples we see here. There's one of Elijah. You see Elijah and Elisha. And Elisha was being mentored by Elijah. And Elijah was about to leave. They knew he was about to go, which is interesting because Elijah knew he was about to leave the earth. I guarantee that you and I as the church, we are going to know when we're about to leave the earth. Jesus, when he was raptured out of here and taken up to here, he knew he was about to leave. And so God doesn't want us to be ignorant of some of these things that are happening. And so we find that Elijah and Elisha, Elisha wanted to have the mantle and walk in the signs and wonders of his father in the faith. And so they were walking together and he said, if you see me go up, he says, you're actually going to have that mantle. It's going to fall down upon you. And so let's have a look at the scripture here. It says, then it happened as they continued on and they talked. Then suddenly a chariot of fire appeared with horses of fire and separated the two of them. And Elijah went up by a whirlwind into heaven. It didn't say he died. Now they looked for his bodies, and when he went, when Elisha went back, the prophets were saying, you need to look for them. No, no, he went up and was taken into heaven. And he's going to be one of the prophets that actually comes back down in the time of tribulation. There's two prophets that are, that are going to be walking around and preaching the gospel in, in that seven-year period in the Old Testament. Well, here's two Old Testament men that were taken up in their, in their body and they will come back down and it'll be interesting you'll see that they will actually die and they'll be left in the streets for three days and three nights the whole world will see them and then all of a sudden they'll be raised from the dead now that's the mercy of God because the whole earth is going to see three men that are dead for three two men sorry two men that are dead for three days and they're going to see them resurrected what is that that's a message from God to the whole earth to say Somebody can die, and three days later they can rise. Messiah died for you, and three days later he was, he was risen from the dead. Please believe before the door is shut. The mercy of God in the tribulation is absolutely outstanding and incredible. The signs, the wonders, the miracles that are going to be going on as God is preaching the gospel. 144,000 Israelis are going to be absolutely sealed. They can't be killed during that time. 12,000 from each tribe are going to go out throughout the earth preaching Messiah is coming, Messiah is coming. You're going to have angels flying through the sky just before the doors close and a Messiah comes back saying salvation is of the Lord. You'll see the two prophets 
that the, the world and Antichrist will absolutely hate and kill them and think that they, he's killed them and destroyed them. And three days later, they're raised from the dead. I tell you what, the, 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 the tribulation is going to be one of the most incredible times where people will get born again and, and, and they will go through tribulation, let me tell you. Satan will absolutely vehemently hate them and you know, destroy them, wipe them out and torture them. Um, and so, But you can see all through this time of the tribulation, God reaching out to his creation. Because once the door, once he arrives, once his feet touch down on the Mount of Olives, that's it. No more salvation is left. And those people will be lost for eternity. And so absolutely the tribulation is a time of God's absolute great mercy and showing signs and wonders. You will see the signs that we will see from the, from the bleachers up on, in heaven. The signs and the wonders, notable signs and wonders and miracles that will be taking place during the tribulation, like the Old Testament Moses time. And the judgments that God brought on Egypt will be the same judgments that God is bringing on Satan's kingdom at that time. It's a tremendous, tremendous story. So let's have a look here. Uh, Hebrews uh, 11, chapter 5. This is Enoch. It says, By faith Enoch was taken up so that he should not see death, and he was found no more because God had taken him. And before he was taken up, he was attested that he pleased God. Isn't that amazing? So God needs these two men for the end times. And so when people say, oh, God took that one in death with sickness and disease, no, God doesn't do that. God doesn't take people like that. They almost take a scripture out of context here and say, well, God took this one because he was pleasing to them. No, God doesn't need another flower in his garden in heaven. He can create a flower just like that. He doesn't need human beings in heaven until they've done their time on earth. And God says, with long life I satisfy you and show you my salvation. Three score and ten years God has promised, which is 70 years. And God said, if you want more, ask. And so he only said that three score and ten years because he was talking to Israel and Israel was in sin at the time. And so if we want a longer life, we can have it. Praise God. And so we see Enoch and Elisha. They were both taken out of the earth. They were translocated from the earth into heaven. And so this is a type of the, what, what, what's going to happen at the rapture of the church. We're going to be translated out of here. And once the church leaves, we're going to, the time of the Gentiles has finished. And then we're going to move back into the time of the law. The dispensation of the law or the Jewish time clock is going to start up for another seven years. Praise God. And so let's have a look at this. I've been sort of still, again, I guess, laying a foundation for you. Now, for all of you theologians, you'll probably want some more details. So let's have a look at the rapture of the church according to Paul. Now, this is in the second book of Thessalonians that God is addressing, this, uh, the church at Thessalonica, and he's talking about the, the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. In fact, he's addressing both of them, the first coming for his church and the second coming um, for Israel. And he addresses both of them right here in these scriptures. So it says here, Now, brethren, concerning... The coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. So that's the topic of the of, of this of the subject, concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our gathering together to Him. We ask you not to be shaken in mind or troubled, either by spirit or by word or by letter, as if from us, as though the day of Christ had come. Now let me give it just a bit of background here that the. Church at Thessalonica had thought that they had missed the rapture. Paul had already spoken to them in the first book, as we've just read that scripture above there in Thessalonians chapter 1, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. He was talking about that there, meeting the Lord in the air. 
But you see, they were going through such incredible persecution by the Roman, um, the, uh, under Roman rule at that time. Um, and already the Romans were coming in, and you'll find that Israel at Jerusalem actually was decimated, the temple was decimated in AD 70, and then the Gentiles were walking over Israel until 2,000 years later when Israel became a nation again in 1948. But you'll find here in the church of Thessalonica that the Romans were coming in and persecuting and coming against the Christians and, 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 and decimating them, killing them. And so they thought, my goodness me, they were receiving letters, they were receiving words from people saying, oh my goodness me, here we are, we're now in, in the tribulation. And so Paul has to write a letter to begin to correct things. And so this is what he's saying. He's talking to the brethren. He says, brethren, concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our gathering together to him. Well, right here, just in that first sentence, Paul is identifying two events. Brethren, he says, church, I'm talking to you. Concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, that's the second coming, and our gathering together to him. That's the rapture. And so he goes on to say, he says, we would ask you that, you're soon, that you would not be soon shaken in mind or troubled, neither by spirit or letter from us, as if the day of Christ had come. Then he goes on to say, let no one deceive you by any means, for that day will not come unless the falling away comes first, and the man of sin is revealed, the son of perdition. Now Paul is talking here and he's saying, let no one deceive you. For that day will not come unless the falling away comes first. Now the falling away is very interesting because this falling away has been used through the body of Christ to say, oh yes, there's going to be incredible falling away and, 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 and removing ourselves from serving God. And there's a whole doctrine all around that. It's interesting how even I looked up all the, the different modern translations and they actually support this. The New Living Translation says that that day will not come, the day of the Lord, until there is a great rebellion against God and the man of lawlessness is revealed. The New Century Version says that something similar, that that day can't come until the turning away from God happens. Now it's interesting because that Greek word is the word apostasia. And the English word we get, apostasy, and the actual word means departure. That's all it means. It doesn't mean depart from God. It doesn't mean depart from anything. It just solely means the word departure. And so when the translators or the people that have done paraphrased versions, they have put their own thinking into the scripture and they have put an interpretation on it that is not what God is saying. And so I want us to read that and just put just the word apostasia, or in the English, departure, in there, and let's have a look and see what it says. And so it says here, Let no one deceive you by any means, for that day will not come unless the departure, we don't have to put evil or good in there, we just put departure, unless the departure comes first and the man of sin is revealed. Now, it's interesting, Kenneth Wurst, and he's a theologian, he wrote this. He said that the word apostasia within this context can only mean the departure of the church because the word apostasia does not say departing from evil or departing from good. It only says departing. 
and we're going to carry on looking through the scripture and we can see that it's confirming that it's talking about the church. And so if we have a look at verse 1 from the very beginning, the topic or the subject that Paul is talking about is actually the rapture. They were concerned that they were being left in the tribulation and so Paul is addressing them and saying that that day cannot come. The tribulation cannot come until the departure, until the gathering together happens first. So let's carry on reading in the King James and then we're going to jump into the NIV. It says here, verse 6, it goes, it goes on to say, um, And now you know what is restraining, that he may be revealed in his own time, talking about Antichrist, for the mystery of lawlessness is already at work, Satan's already at work in the earth, only he who now restrains will do so until he is taken out of the way. Now, we absolutely believe that he is the church. Let me read it in the NIV. Paul talking about, he says, Don't you remember that when I was with you, Thessalonians, I used to tell you these things, and now you know what is holding him, Antichrist, back. You know what is holding Satan, Antichrist, you know what is holding him back, so that he may be revealed at the proper time. For the secret power of lawlessness is already at work, but the one who now holds him back will continue to do so till he is taken out of the way. And then the lawless one will be revealed, whom the Lord Jesus Christ will overthrow with the breath of his mouth and destroy with the splendor of his coming. Now some believe that he who was holding Antichrist back, they say, well, that's the, that's the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is actually right now in the earth and he's holding Satan from coming back or from, from coming onto the forefront or coming onto the world stage. But we would suggest to you that it can't be the Holy Spirit. And, and, then, and then they say, and then when the Holy Spirit is taken out, like it says here, and he will continue to hold him back until he's taken out of the way. So when the Holy Spirit's taken out of the way, then Satan can come in. Well, I mean, if, if the Holy Spirit is taken out of the earth, there's no more salvation. Because nobody comes to the Father except the Spirit draws them. And so the Holy Spirit will be on this earth. There's always two in heaven and there's one on earth. You know, and when Jesus rose, the Holy Spirit was sent down here as God, as, as God into the, in the earth. And so we find that the Holy Spirit has got to stay on this earth, otherwise there is no salvation that is available because they need to be drawn by the Holy Spirit. And so I believe that this passage is talking about the church. He who is now holding the Antichrist back is the church. And you know, it's interesting how sometimes the church, they want to identify, I wonder who the Antichrist is. I wonder if he's this and he's wonder he's that and wonder who it is there. And you've got movies that are made by the, about the Antichrist and even the secular world. But it says here that he's not going to be revealed until we're out of here. He's not, he cannot be revealed. He cannot come on to center stage until we, until we leave. You see, we are the restraining force. The church is the restraining. He that now restrains will continue to restrain until he's taken out of the way. He who is holding him back, or we could say the church is holding him back and we will continue to hold him back until we're taken out of here. And then when the light is gone, darkness is actually going to come onto the earth. You see, Jesus said that you are the salt of the earth. 
He says, you are the light of the world. He said, if the salt has lost its flavor, what good is it? He was talking to Israel. And when it was Israel's dispensation, Israel was supposed to be the light of the world. The nations were to look at Israel and to see how good God was because he blessed her so much. And then even the Gentiles could come and get saved under that, under that dispensation. But Israel became um, departed from God. And she wasn't light and she wasn't salt. And Jesus said, if the salt's lost its flavor, what good have you been? And so we are the salt. We are the preservative on the earth right now. And like Stephen was preaching last week, we don't have to allow Satan to come into our nation and to do what he wants. He has no authority. We are the church. We are the light. We are the salt. And Jesus says, whatever you allow on earth, I will allow. Whatever you stop on earth, I will stop. He says, occupy the earth until I come to get you. And so this teaching about that the church is powerless and that Satan's got all the power and we're going to come under the authority and be persecuted and go through tribulation, it totally disempowers the church so that she doesn't think she has the authority when we have authority. We've got the name that's above every other name. We're the temple of God. God dwells inside of us. We have all power. All authority has been given to us. And Jesus says, now you go with that authority. You go with that power and preach it to all nations. And those that believe will be saved. And so we are that restraining force. We are holding Satan back right now. So you can stand in your lounge and you can look into the spirit around and say, Satan, I'm here. And you're not doing to my family what you want to do. You're not doing to my children what you want to do. I put a stop on you. I restrain you. And we do that to our cities. God says that he looks for an intercessor to stand in the gap. He says, I've put watchmen on the walls. And so the church is to be watching. We're on the walls of our city. We're on the walls of our nation and we're watching. And if there's demonic forces that are trying to come in to hurt the people and to bring all kinds of junk into this nation, we're the watchmen. We are watching and we can see what's happening. The people, the Bible says that they're under the sway of the wicked one. They don't know what's happening. They just know we're going down and they don't know how to stop it. But we're the church and we say stop. God says let your yes be yes and your no be no. And so yes, Holy Spirit and no Satan. And so we are here to exercise our authority. And we are here and as we understand that our presence in the earth is holding Satan back right now. He cannot, I mean, it's pretty bad what's going on in the earth. But you see, if the light isn't shining, and if the salt hasn't got its flavor, then stuff's going to rot. And so for us as the church, we had to fill ourselves with the word, know and understand our authority, what God has called us to do, and then start to stand. And as God has showed us, he says, well, life and death is in the power of your tongue. We don't have to fight necessarily with, with guns, although godly, there is godly battles that are out there. But not everyone's called to be in the army. But my goodness me, we're the army of God and we can speak with our mouth and we can declare and we can use our, 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 our authority and vote in, in, in the political arena and speak and do those things in the natural and be that light. There's many, many great men and women of God that have gone before us and have, and, and have done amazing things because they have been that light. And so we can do that. And so the church, when the church departs and is taken out, or is gathered together to him, that lawless one is going to be revealed. The Israeli clock, the Jewish time clock will start back up and then Antichrist will be revealed. Let's carry on reading here. It says, 
But the one who now holds him back will continue to do so till he is taken out of the way. And then the lawless one will be revealed, whom the Lord Jesus will overthrow with the breath of his mouth and destroy with the splendor of his coming. And so verse 8 here, Paul is speaking about the second coming. Verse 1, he, he, he addressed the two. He says, the day of the Lord and our gathering together to him. The two were mentioned there. And then in this verse here, verse 8, Paul is referring to the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, one coming, Jesus touches on the clouds and he's coming for his church. And the second coming, he's going to be coming with ten thousands of his saints, with him. So look at number six, bringing the ambassadors home. Now, Stephen and I worked for the French ambassador for about seven years uh, while we were going through Bible school. It was a wonderful experience. It was at the time of, um, of all of the, uh, you know, the, uh, the fighting that was going on in the political arena, and we had protesters outside the, the uh, French residence, um, and uh, it was just quite an interesting time. But here, here we've got here in the body of Christ that the question is often asked, well, again, are all believers going to go in the rapture? Are all the believers going to go in the rapture or is one going to be taken and another left? Another taken and another left. Is that what's going to happen? Well, we don't believe that God's talking to the church there. Jesus was talking to Israel and he was talking to Israel in the time of the tribulation. And so if we have a look here, that when one country declares war on another, the first people they bring home is the diplomatic corps. They bring the ambassadors home first. Whether the ambassadors are good ambassadors or bad, they bring them home. They will not leave them in that nation for that nation to judge their ambassadors. Those men are brought home. And so before God, there's going to come a time when God is going to declare war on a God-rejecting world. And before he does that, he's going to bring the ambassadors home. How do we know that? Well, how do we know that we're ambassadors? The Bible says in Corinthians, he says, you are ambassadors for Christ. You are ambassadors for Christ. And we are right now down here as ambassadors. We are representing another kingdom. We are living on the, the, the economy from heaven. We don't belong to this earth. Our citizenship is in heaven. And so before God de declares war on this earth, the ambassadors will be brought home. And they will be judged at home. They will be judged at home. We have examples of that, actually. Before God brought judgment on the earth, what happened with Noah? Noah was a righteous man, and he, was, he, he made an ark, and then judgment came with a flood. We find in the time of, of Lot, and we'll have a look at that in a second, that Lot, before God brought judgment on Sodom and Gomorrah and rained down fire from heaven, he got Lot out of there. When God brought judgment on Egypt, you'll find that those judgments came down on Egypt and Israel was in Goshen and the light was still shining and blessing was still upon that part. The light was, it was a glow over that whole area. It wasn't touched with any, any, any of those judgments, any of those curses that came upon the, na the nation of Egypt at that time. And so we find that we have not been called to, we have not been called to wrath, the wrath of God. We've, we've passed from death to life. Well, somebody might say, well, the rapture, um, is it based on, on our good works, what we do? Well, I don't believe it is. The rapture is not based on good works. The rapture is not something that you and I work for. It's not a reward. The rapture is actually going to be a sovereign move of God that we have nothing to do with. When God said it's time, it's time. It's not something we can put our faith out for. 
is actually part of a timetable that's bigger than us, part of the dispensations, part of the world clock that's going on. And when God says it's time for the ambassadors to come home, bang, we're off. Now we can see this, you know, believers. Um, in fact, I've, I've just got a question here. What about the believers on earth at the time of the rapture who aren't living for the Lord? Well, we've got this example of Lot. Lot's a, 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 a prime example that he was in Sodom and Gomorrah and the Bible says that he was vexing his, his, his righteous soul because there was sodomy going on. There was all kinds of sexual perversions. And then when God was coming down to actually judge those two cities and he was going to rain down fire on those cities, God says, I can't do that because Lot's there. And so he sent the angels and the angels were, were negotiating with Lot to get him out. Lot didn't like what was going on, but he didn't want to leave. And you see the angels in the end, they pulled him and picked him up and took him out because God could not bring judgment on Sodom until he got out of there. And this was a backslidden believer under the old covenant. And so even backsliders, I believe, from what we can see about the character of God, are actually going to be going in the rapture. It's not by works. It's by grace. You see, number point nine, and we'll start to close down, our works will be judged at the reward seat of Christ or at the judgment seat of Christ. How we live on earth as believers is not going to affect whether we go in the rapture or not. But I can tell you it's going to affect and it's going to impact on the judgment seat of Christ and how we live for the rest of eternity. Some, the Bible talks about, some are going to shine like the stars. Some are going to shine like the sun. There's going to be different degrees of glory if you have a look through the New Testament. And what is that glory? That glory is about those that have served God. And different, different types of glory, different rules and authorities that are going to be for eternity. But have a look at this here. Uh, 2 Corinthians 5, 9 to 10. It says, Therefore, it says, I may, we make it our aim, whether we are present or whether we are absent from the body, that we are well-pleasing to him. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that we must, um, that each one, may receive the things done in the body according to what he has done, whether good or bad. Now look at this. It says, we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. It doesn't say, oh, that some of us are going to appear. It said, we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ and then give account of ourselves. Now that word judgment, judgment seat is an interesting word. It's the word, the Greek word beamer. And it actually means a high elevated seat. And this was a seat that was used actually in the Olympic Games back in the time, way, way back in the, the days when the Olympians were starting to you know, come on the scene with, uh, with the, um, in, in their world empires. And the beamer seat was not a court seat. It was a, it was a throne that the king would sit on, the emperor would sit on, and he would judge all of the races and all of the winners from the races. There were two seats at that time. There was, a, there was another seat that the king would sit on, and that was for a court of law. And then they had the beamer. And they would sit on the beamer seat, and that's where they would hand out rewards for all of these ones that had actually either fought in battle or otherwise in the games that they had won um, great championships. And so that they would be rewarded at that seat. And so we see that as an analogy of what is going to happen at the judgment seat of Christ, which a better terminology would be called, if you wrote that in your Bible, put Bema, which means a reward seat. And that is a time when God and Jesus Christ are going to hand out rewards. The Bible says that our works are going to go through the fire. And it said the wood, the hay, and the stubble, those things that we've done in our flesh, they're going to be burned up 
on that fire, but the gold, the silver, and the precious stones, the things that we've done, the way we've lived for God, the things that we've done for the gospel and for the kingdom on earth, they're going to be gold, silver, and precious stones. And those things are going to be rewarded at the judgment seat of Christ, at the reward seat. And so we've got a party happening for seven years in heaven while hell is happening down here on earth. And then the Bible says that then on, that, on that last day that all of those that are actually dressed in robes of white, the saints are going to return with Jesus Christ and to set up his throne. And so we see that right there. You've got scripture after scripture. There's major scripture talking about the reward seat of Christ and, and, and some of those things that how God is going to deal with his church. The ambassadors are brought home and they are judged at home. And they are rewarded for their work. They are rewarded for every minute, every day, every prayer that they give forth for the salvation of souls. Everything that they are doing to support the work of God, the economy of heaven on earth, they will be rewarded. God says that even if you give a glass of water in my name, surely you will not lose your reward. Wow. God's writing down everything. Why? Because he's kind of leaning that way. He's a reward God. And if, if you give a glass of water, I'll tell you what, God's writing that down. It's on a huge big computer. God knows everything. Praise the Lord. And so let me just, as we're winding down, so where, where does the church fit in end times? Well, God wants us to be absolutely confident, totally confident as we see that day approaching, that God's plan for the church is good. And that while we are here, that we are to occupy until he comes that we are to walk in our authority, how are we res to respond even to some of the political things that are happening in our nation right now? Well, we are the preservative. And so I encourage you to start saying no in the spirit realm. No, we're not having this. We have authority. Satan, you're not bringing our nation under the sway of the wicked one. The church is here. We are the light. We are the soul. And we are occupying this land. We are occupying the authority in the spirit realm over our nation. We're not handing it over. You see that teaching that talks about that the Jesus can't come or, or Antichrist can't come until there's a falling away first. You see, that teaching was really decimated some people in the body of Christ. They thought, oh, well, everyone's going to go away from the Lord first and then it's going to all happen. Well, what does that mean? That means that the body of Christ just backs off and just lets it all happen? No. It's a wrong interpretation of Scripture. Yeah, there may be darkness going on out there, but where it's dark, there's glory in the church. It's absolute glory. And again, as we shine our light, we're being a light to those, the Gentiles, and they're coming on in. Let's just have a look at this. So what about the tribulation? And I'll just end with this. What about the tribulation that will come upon the whole earth? Well, we can be confident that when the time of the Gentiles is complete, the Christ's ambassadors are going to be super, supernaturally translocated out of here to meet him in the Shekinah glory cloud. The Jewish clock is going to restart the seven-year period and it's going to be a time, as I said, of great wrath and the scripture says that unless God shortened that time that no souls are going to be saved. No, 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 no one would, would survive it. And as the nations meet together at the Battle of Armageddon, they're fighting for this plot of land on the Mount of Olives where God said, I'm going to put my temple and I'm going to put my name. You're going to find Antichrist come halfway through. He's going to break covenant with Israel. He's going to set his name and he's going to want to be wanting to be worshipped as God. And as he sets that up and all the nations are gathering together for the battle of Armageddon, they're coming down from China, down from Russia, and they're all meeting here to fight against a little nation. And as it looks like no one's going to save this beautiful little nation because the church is gone. And we're, the, we're Israel's friend right now, church. But when the church is gone, Israel's got no one. 
And as the whole of the nations descend upon her to wipe her out, and woe to you that are with child at that time. You know, and don't go up into the king to get your stuff. It says, flee, get out. And so all of those things are talking to Israel at this time. And then you'll see Messiah turns around. He comes with ten thousands of his saints, and he judges. And the Bible says, Mount of Olives splits in two. And he judges Satan's kingdom. Then he comes on in, and he sets up his thousand-year reign. And we will reign with him for a thousand years. Satan will be locked up and bound, and all his angels, his demon spirits. And so we, we can go into this time absolutely confident that we're going to know when the rapture's coming. We're going to know like Elisha knew. And we're going to be able to get things in order. And we're actually, while we're here, God says, use your authority. Stop what you can stop and say yes to what you can say yes to. And I will confirm your words with signs following. And so, Father, we just want to thank you right now. Lord God, that this is absolutely good news, that your word, Father God, your scriptures, your New Testament letters to us, Father. Lord, you've said that you don't want us to be deceived, that you want us to be confident, knowing, Father God, who we are, that we're called as ambassadors, that we're here to represent you on the earth. And so, Father God, I just thank you right now that we go with that confidence that Satan can't just come and steal, kill, and destroy. That, Father God, that we are here with your life. And right now, even over our nation, Father, as decisions are being made over, our, over this marriage bill, Father God, we thank you that we are the ones that have authority to say no to this. And Father, even at the 11th hour, Lord God, that we're just saying no in the spirit realm to every foul demonic force that is trying to sway our politicians and getting them to make wrong decisions. Father, we thank you, Lord, for the leading of the Holy Ghost, that your presence and your spirit and even your guardian angels that are over every one of those politicians, that they are unctioning and nudging them to do what is right. And so, Father, we just also thank you that you have created these men and women and you know how to speak to them. You know, Father God, how to exactly move on the hearts of these men and women. And so, Father, we thank you that, that, that Mr. Key is making righteous decisions. We thank you, Lord, from the Labour government, the Greens, the Nationals, whoever they are, Father God. Lord, we just declare that these people, Lord God, their hearts are turning towards the Lord. We declare Satan, we say, stop to you. You will not manipulate them. You will not have your way in their lives. We declare salvation over our politicians, over our beehive, over our nation, in the name of Jesus Christ. And Father, we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.